0: What's up? Welcome to the Confluence DC podcast. This podcast is meant to give you a personal glimpse into the next era of investors and operators. This week we had on Yohei Nakajima of Untapped Capital. Untapped is an early stage fund that bets on overlooked founders across the world. Yohei has built up a massive network through previous experiences at Disney, Techstars, and Scrum Ventures. And part of Untapped's unique strategy involves leveraging that network to help his portfolio companies succeed. In this talk, we discuss some of the flaws around relying on referrals for deal flow, betting on businesses making real impact in the world, and no code and the expansion of opportunity when removing barriers to development.
1: yo everyone welcome to the confluence VC podcast uh today we actually have a long-term friend mentor fellow alumni etc on the podcast my homie yohe who's just built his own fund and uh, has a very interesting take great platform and in contrast to him having a stellar network is arguably like deviating against using that as the the core of what he's doing. I'll let you all, or I'll let him take over and then maybe tell us a little bit about himself, why he's such a great person, and, and really just how he got to this point, what he's building.
2: Thanks Tyler. Thanks for having me. I think I'm okay, but I'll tell you about why I'm okay. So I've been around what, startups for probably 15 years started really on the community side. I was really active in the LA startup ecosystem. I'll do a quick background um, and then talk about Untapped and we can talk about whatever's mo- most interesting to you guys, but I started on the community side, right? First stacking, just going to events, then helping events by stacking chairs then running events and so on, and built out a pretty, pretty solid LA network. And then when Techstars came to LA to spin up the Disney accelerator, I jumped on that team. To help spin up the Disney Accelerator for the first two years before jumping into a more central position at Techstars as the first director of pipeline. So I was figuring out how Techstars at that point, 30 Accelerator programs, gets better at finding startups. And then after that, I jumped over to a seed in Series A fund in the Bay Area called Scrum Ventures with close ties to Japan. I sat on the investment team as a venture partner and helped spin up their consulting arm. Where we were doing startup sourcing for Japanese corporates like Nintendo, Panasonic, Dentsu, SoftBank, and so on. And that was uh, that's what I did before spinning up Untapped. I started with my good friend Jessica Jackley. She's most well known for being the founder of Kiva. It's the two of us uh, running a pre-seed firm, to a generalist firm to invest in unexpected founders, the founders with a without a strong network into VCs across the U.S. We're talking like tech introverts underrepresented founders, young, small town, immigrant, and uh, they're not in our network almost by definition. So our unique strategy is that we primarily source throughout outbound. So majority of the founders I talk to are ones that I cold email. And then on the back end, we're just going to have a, built a pretty strong network, but our goal is to support these founders and helping them grow a network that they need with, with our own network. Right? So absolutely still leveraging my network to help the founders succeed, just not leveraging it to find the founders that we invest in. So I'll pause there because I covered a lot and just talked about background and fun. So let me know what you want Uh, to do
1: when it when it comes to you, man. I let you take the. I, I oftentimes sleep on like how deep you were, how early you were on the tech star side of things. That's that's legendary. And then was a huge fan of Scrum, still am. And ever since you told me about the fact that you were starting your own thing, I've been stoked. So. Thank you for giving us that background. Also, shout out to your partner. World knows we need as many minority and women GPs as possible.
2: Yeah, Jessica's fun to work with. She spent, her, she spent her, a lot of her career being a star in the, in the impact community. And, and it's great working with her because her and I have an aligned view on, on what we think of as impact. Right. We all, we always say that we're not impact investors, but we're impact minded, and that we understand that every business has an impact, right? Regardless, every big business or every business that exists in the world has an impact, and we like to think about the holistic aspect of every business, right?
1: Yeah. Actually, before I dive into any more questions or thoughts or whatever it might be, if you want to take a fifteen second, this is why she's so dope. Feel free to go for it, and then I'll dive into the rest. Yeah. One of the reasons I like working with her too is that we
2: ha- we're just very different in the way we think about startups, right? We'll jump on a call and I'm usually asking the founder, right? Like, what are you doing today to figure out what you can do tomorrow? Very like operationally minded, like what's step one, what's step two. And then when Jessica asks questions, she just pulls them out of that and starts talking about the world at large and how, where their business fits into the context of like where the world is today and where it goes. So it's a, it's a lot of fun to be on calls with her, talking to founders and also just like discussing different businesses. Because I think that's it's really complimentary.
1: That's great, man. That's great. Yeah, partners are, are everything. I, I personally know for a fact that confluence could not exist in any way if it was just me. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, shout out to partner. Shout out to Clay. And yes, yeah, let's hop further into to what you're building. Give us the FYI on, on TAP, please. I'm cool. excited for the world to know more about you all. Uh, and every time I hear you, talk to you, talk like, anything about what you're building i'm stoked and when i read you all's email updates which hopefully some of our our uh, listeners or compost members get to subscribe to or you personally add them to i don't know if it's like secretive or not it's just yeah great. yeah it's, a, it's actually a private list i'll ramble for a second how about that i'll just talk about
2: it on top I'm happy to do that so as i said we're outbound VCs. we reach out to founders to do that we want to see as many startups as possible so probably on a monthly basis i'm i'm reading maybe a 1,000 th- startup descriptions on a, on a monthly basis across product on Angelist, Twitter, startup competitions and lists that people send me. Of those 1,000, I will track, tag and score maybe 100 to 150 into our CR. Those, about a third go into kind of our considering bucket where we might reach out. And then of those, we'll reach out to maybe a third and then we'll invest in one of those companies. So we have this like huge pipeline. But what's really cool is that we have this incredible database, right? Because I'm tracking 100 to 150 startups a month of interesting startups that are generally pretty early tagged with industry. So one of the things I started doing when, you know, when we started on tap was a monthly update to keep our friends, posted on on progress and LPs and whatnot, and in addition to sharing updates about our fund, I decided, I'm going to share some interesting startups. And when I did that, I had an incredible kind of click rate because people were reading it and people really enjoyed it. So that just became part of our updates. So every month now. I will pick two or three categories where I've recently seen startups just go through our kind of pipeline and then write up interesting startups I've seen in those categories. And and it's been great because our updates list gets a consistent 60, 70% open rate. I think we're averaging 67% last day check on open rate, which is pretty high, but it's just such a great way to scale communication with a community of friends that you want to keep in touch with to to be able
1: to write something that they want to read. Um, To be be very clear, everyone, I'm going to let you finish. I'm pulling a Kanye right now. I'm going to let you get back to him. But no, yo, I've never had an email be sent to me that's that refreshing. Like the style of it is basically you just talk to me like, hey, man, you ever learned about this random thing? And then just like a free flow. If you're interested in these 15 things for this subtopic, or if your life could be improved in these X ways, here's a company for every one of those things. And here's three options. And it just feels so natural. I can hear your voice in it. And I just haven't seen many people execute on it like that. So shout out to you and everyone, please check it out.
2: Thanks. It's, it's pretty fun to write. Cause the you know, last time I did real estate, what I'll do is I'll go through my pipeline and just search for real estate prop tech, and I'll pull up 40 to 50 links. I'll then go through those quickly and just like filter out a you know, half of them or maybe two thirds of them, I keep leaving me with a dozen that I think are like exciting that people would want to read about. And then I shuffle around the order and I just sit down and I pretty much type it <laughs> out in one go.
1: Okay. That makes sense. Because I actually use a lot of the stuff. Like I use, what is it? The There's this one that you put out that reuses it. Like it reorganizes my entire calendar. Reclaim. Yep. Reclaim is great. You might've learned of Descript because of you for podcasts. I can't remember. Yeah, but I covered That's changed me and Clay's lives. And then there's five or six others. And then some of them that I actually just use as an investor or as like a company builder. So
2: yeah, it's also cool because you know I'm putting out into my ecosystem. I think right now, like right, four or 500, 500 people maybe on there. Again, it's all people I've talked to personally, pretty much. Because there's some, I, I love the idea of building in public, but there's just some things I'm, I'm legally not allowed to talk to publicly. So you know, this this private list is that. But what's great about sharing interesting startups is that whenever I cover a category that someone knows well, they'll usually respond with some feedback or thoughts or additional startups. So I get you know more knowledge by sharing what I know, and then on top of that. Because I can see click rates, I can tell which startup ideas I described are, are interesting to the people I know. So that's every once in a while, there'll they'll be like a startup that I, that I mentioned where suddenly two dozen people click on that link, which I, didn't, you know, which I may not have expected. What I'll probably do right then is I'll just go cold email that founder because there's something I maybe didn't catch. I thought it was interesting. A lot of the people I knew, I know if, if they all think it's particularly interesting, then maybe I should reach out and talk.
1: Okay. To them. I kind of you know, interrupt you as a very, very rude human being.
2: No, that was a nice little shout out. Yeah, I think, I think one of the things you wanted me to talk about too was our, was our custom CRM. Yes. I'm obsessed with workflows. When I did director pipeline at Techstars, I had this beefed up Google Sheet, a custom Google Sheet with tons of scripts written in it that had a lot of automations. And so when I set up untapped from the get-go, I, I knew that tech was going to be one of our strengths. Initially, I was hard coding our own custom CRM, my, migrated over to a no-code base. So now it's uh, sitting, it's an Airtable backend, I use Softer for our website and LP portal. I have an internal kind of CRM mocked up on Stacker, though I don't fully use it today, and then tons of Zaps, but it helps us run super efficiently, right? Reviewing all these companies, and minimizing data entry, that kind of stuff. So it's been pretty fun to, to talk about that publicly as well because there's a lot of people thinking about and working on this, and it's, it's pretty cool to see VCs become much more efficient and, and leveraging tools beyond maybe just Salesforce.
1: So I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag here, but like... Whether it be me working as a part-time LP for some of my consulting engagements or me having worked at other firms that build dedicated CRMs internally, like he's being incredibly modest and saying it's not built out. It's really nice. And at some point the world will see, or maybe just his LPs. It's really dope. Thank you for for putting that together. You actually made me step up to the plate and like think now when I am looking at investments. On the LP side of things, when people say they're building like tech-based VC stuff, eh, it's not really there. I'll get on it. But that's like my new baseline of what's dope. So would you take a moment to back up and give us the reasoning or thesis behind why you're outbound only and how that kind of gets back to the roots of proprietary deal flow and, and all these other principles guiding you taking on this mission where you could have pretty much done anything given your background?
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you asked that. I think having been in the VC space, two things really stood out to me, right? One is that every VC I know primarily sources through referral, and that's their number one deal. And then two, I just noticed that a lot of energy from a lot of very smart people were spent chasing allocations, right? They were trying to win allocations in the round. And just, it's not just the amount of time, but also the amount of like brain energy spent on trying to win allocations just seemed to be a little bit larger than it should be today. And what I think happens and what we're seeing is that these founders, when they're well-networked, just due to those two things, their round becomes quickly inflated from a pricing standpoint. And having done outbound for over, you know, six years now, I just know there's so many great founders out there just, that just don't have a strong network. And as I thought about what my superpower is, there's probably few people who have as much experience doing outbound at a, as, as an early stage VC as me. I realized that, that was all my superpower and my opportunity. So I decided to set up a firm that leveraged my superpower, which was outbound. And, and the benefit of that is being able to invest in these founders that other VCs are overlooking um, because they're either not in their network or the rounds aren't hot because you know, they just don't have a strong to begin with. And our hope in doing outbound. Of course, we know we find great companies that other VCs aren't and in can invest and support them. But also I'm hoping that we can get more VCs to do that. And the end result of more VCs, like on average, if VCs did a little bit more outbound, right? On average, founders will take less time to fundraise and they'll also be less reliant on their net. So I hope that we have that impact across the ecosystem in in activating what I call the long tail of innovation.
1: For that, if I were you, I would For the greater good, be like, yes, I hope everyone does this. But because, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you're only outbound, (laughs) like in a way I would no one else did, and then just scale your AUM because you're like shitting on it and then (laughs) expand your strategy. But no, for sure, I, I totally see the net impact there on founders because not everyone knows that this thing exists and this thing like that. The VC ecosystem or just general venture capital itself. So that's great. I'm curious as to how founders who aren't raising traditional VC or who may have been and just are just so delighted that someone took the time to reach out to them and understand what they're doing as dope. Like how they're responding to you.
2: Yeah. Generally speaking, I think people are pretty excited when they're reached out. You know, of course I think that sends a signal to founders. So I think we, we try to do a little bit more diligence. I think that I've seen some other firms in terms of um, when we reach out, if I can if I can log on to the app, if I can try the app, play around, spend 10, 15 minutes diligencing it and realize that maybe it's not a right fit. I think it's uh, it's respectful to do that before I reach out and set up a call. If I can t- spend 15 minutes figuring out I don't want to invest, it's it's better I do that before I take up 30 minutes of their time. So we're pretty we make sure we're pretty excited when we reach out. But founders are usually pretty excited, I'd say, especially at pre-seed. Once once you hit series A, then you have a lot of associates from a lot of firms reaching out, but not many pre-seed. Founders are getting GPs cold emailing them today yet.
1: Yeah. yeah. You care to share any of the, actually, every time I do this or me and Clay do this, we have people a chance to maybe talk about their own portfolio with you, because you're seeing so many unique things and it's not just the standard companies, like I know there was this one like company that was doing like refrigerator space or something like that, that we talked about like months ago, that was, I might be totally wrong, but it was something along those lines like you down to share maybe two companies that you have invested in that are firing maybe two that you didn't but are just so out of the blue but and just so dope that the world should know about them feel free to do either of the two first
2: yeah i i always hate picking but i'll just pick uh two that kind of stood out in different directions one is obviously ai because i'm a no code I, I looked at the no code space after I built out our app and, and realized that machine learning was a space that I really wanted to take a look at within the no code space and, and came across obviously AI. They allow you know, anybody with no coding experience to run predictions on a spreadsheet or a back end database in five, 10 minutes. Really powerful tool, and I'm pretty excited about what they allow. Everybody from SaaS companies, e commerce companies, loan companies are using it to predict things like buy again likelihood churn or even loan repayments. So that one I'm pretty excited about. I'm excited about all our companies, of course. On the other side, probably top of mind for me, especially because it's really hot in here, here in Seattle right now during the heat wave, is uh, Windmill. They have these uh, beautiful, smart, sustainable window AC units. Now, if you think about window AC, they're usually generally ugly and old and and not sustainably friendly. So I'm pretty excited when I came across Windmill. The founders have the right background to be, they come from the world of ACs, but what they've done is they've designed one that just yeah, it you know, looks very clean. It's smart. It's, uh, it's the most sustainable, you know, sustainable, sustainable way you can build a window AC. They'll help you recycle your old AC unit. I think they, they offset the carbon footprint of every unit, the lifetime of it, all built into the cost. So that one's pretty exciting. So if anybody's thinking about um, implementing no-code into machine learning into their business and don't have any machine lear- learning engineers, I'd say take a look at, obviously, AI. And uh, if you're worried about the heat or uh, bad air quality this summer, I mean, you could do the window AC. I would say, look at window air.
1: Thank you. See, this is the kind of stuff that you get when you subscribe to us. <laughs> but okay, how about you dive further in No Code? Your list on No Code was eye-opening for me. And actually inspired me when I was back at GPV to even consider making that one of my core focuses for the quarter.
2: No-code's powerful. I think there's three big buckets of, you know three big benefits of no-code that I'm looking at. One is saving developers time, right? If you think about just like coding languages, it's always been about how do we simplify this so that developers can do the stuff that's simple tasks easily so that they can focus on the more complicated questions. And I think no-code to some extent is an extension of that, right? Ruby on Rails made it really easy for people to spin up apps. So people were able to develop much more complex stuff on top of it because they weren't spending the time setting up the basics, right? I think, you know, low-code and no-code is an extension of that. So one saving developers time, which means those same developers will be able to spend their brain powers building other exciting stuff. Two is just operational efficiency across all types of businesses, whether it's SMBs, whatnot, just the idea that there's a lot of stuff that people wish they could do and but they ha- would have had to hire a developer to let's say build an internal app for workflow management, that kind of stuff. That's really becoming commoditized. I think there's a lot more experts popping up on the market who can help people set up so you're seeing consultancies, agencies, and additional tools. So that excites me because inefficiencies is just such a pet peeve. And then i say the third, and probably from an investor standpoint, the mo- most exciting thing for me is that no-code tools today, right? If you think of WordPress as the OG kind of no-code tool, no-code tools today allow for much more complex apps to be built, especially when you layer on things like obviously AI and like machine learning, being able to build like a Netflix recommendation engine on top and then provide videos. When people are able to cheaply and quickly develop things that come to mind, what will happen is people who previously could not have started startups will do it, which means we'll have new ideas from new places, from new people. And we'll see new startups pop up that, you know, your traditional founder would have never even thought to do. And that, that's exciting to me, I think.
1: Are there any companies that you see in a space that are breakout that Everyone will know soon, or any companies in your portfolio that you just want to highlight
2: in that. I already highlighted obviously AI, so I won't uh, use up more more time (laughs) talking about them. But you know, I'll I'll talk about two companies that aren't in our portfolio. I think Stacker and Softer are two. Softer is S O F T R, and Stacker is how you'd you know imagine it. I think are two pretty exciting ones. It's the Airtable or Google Sheet as a backend plug and play app builders. I played around with Webflow and Bubble. Those are super powerful and super customizable. I think for first-time people, sometimes those might be a little bit too customizable at times, or especially if you're building like an internal app or something simple, you don't need all the customizations. Both stacker and software are pretty much kind of plug and play, you use different blocks and you connect to your Airtable, clean UI for managing, managing, and it's super fast to build stuff, right? We built our LP portal with member login that ties into our um, Airtable CRM and it shows us portfolio news, LPs have access to our entire outbound pipeline with search and filter, as well as all of our LP updates in PDF form are downloadable from that portal. And it took me four and a half hours to build it from scratch while live tweeting. I was using software. So it's really powerful that you can just do that. Dope,
1: dope, dope. Switching topics, because, you know, like I said, I, I personally think that the companies that you look like or or look at are the ones that I rarely get to see in other people's ping me x ping me y thing one I'll give you a chance to maybe talk about how you pick companies in a vacuum once you get to that 150 and the ones that you need if there's any framework feel free to answer that or not and then two I want to dive into something that's really important to you and some of the conversations that we've had in the past which is happiness and it's it's a broad topic, but I, I know that you get it. I've known you over the years and yeah.
2: yeah. I can talk about the startup one quickly. I won't go too deep, but at the top of the very top of the funnel, we're looking at, I'm looking at thousands of companies. I think looking at thousands of companies gives me also, cause I'm looking up how much they've raised and I'm seeing, seeing that data just in, in my day to day. It gives me an incredible idea of what markets are pretty. Expensive. So we're, we do look for markets, with Tailwind, I think especially because we're focused on investing in founders with not a particularly strong network. I think founder those building in a real you know a hot market or a soon-to-be hot market is is helpful. So we do look at market pretty heavily at the top of the funnel, and then you know we also as we start talking to them because they're under on network. One of the one of the filters that I have is do I do I want to introduce this founder to everybody I know. And, and it's, that's like a, that's a gut feeling, but there are people, I get off the phone with them and I'm just thinking, wow, I can't believe that more people I know don't know about what they're working on. And that's definitely a feeling I look for because I think those kinds, of, if, if you can get that emotion out in people, it's pretty easy to build a network. And I feel like I can support them in growing a network, even if they don't have one. So two things that pop to mind based on that question.
1: I think that all makes sense. Tell us about happiness though. You're a pretty, you're, you're pretty introspective person. And a lot of people I know rely on you through tough times or through really just finding themselves and something we've been talking about on a few of our other podcasts, like talking about their why. You seem to have been someone that I've known for a long time who has their why in their pocket all the time and just makes people comfortable speaking to you and, and just telling truth. So you down to dive into the topic of happiness? And yeah,
2: I've gone through a lot of journey, like a journey myself. But I've always been, I think, one of the happier people. And I think I've always, you know, been somebody that people come to when they want to be happy, when they want to party, or not, or whatnot. But over time, through meditation, and whatnot, my philosophy has landed at, you know, me being happy is an a priori assumption. right? I assume first that I'm happy, and then I look at the look at what's happening in my life. And then I try to understand the context in which way, which with which my a priority assumption is true. So, you know, it comes down to the it wasn't meant to be and it was meant to be, which is the simplest way to describe my philosophy. But to a large extent, there's a lot of things out of our control. If it's in my control, I'll do my best. And if it's out of my control, then, then there must be a reason for it to be happy. But yeah, I'm definitely oversimplifying. But I think the key for me is one: I assume I'm happy. And again, it's easy, way easier said than done. But I've just come to a place where I just assume I'm already happy. So anything that happens in my life must be a reason for why I'm happy.
1: Yo, that's fire. I always tell people, like, also, how's your day going? A lot of people will say it's all right, or it's okay, or whatever that might be. For me, it's like, if it's not a bad day, it's a great day. Uh, and I've never really thought about just assuming happiness. So I'm actually going to steal that and, and read radi- it.
2: Yeah, and I think happiness, I think the word happiness is confusing for people too, because there's, there's that like excitement and joy in the moment happiness. There's, I'm, do, I'm feeling good. And then there's a life is good, like long-term happiness. And I definitely focus on, there's that kind of, the, the idea of hedonics you know, hap circle, cycle, I think, is that there's ups and downs, but on average, you're pretty much the same happiness all the time, which I more or less agree with, except that I think you can have it be an upward angle over time. And mostly I'm just focusing on that, like long-term on average, is, am I, do I seem happier than I was five, 10, you know, three years ago, five years ago? And, and I look for that upward trend, but I try not, I don't really focus on my day-to-day emotions or I try not to. And if I, if something does bum, bum me out, if I get upset, I, I ask myself, like, is this something I'm going to remember being upset about five years from now? And if it's a no, that usually helps me calm down and not be so upset about it.
1: That's a cheat code. That's an easy cheat code, man. <laughs> Will this be something that I care about or that it makes me unhappy five years from now or year? I'm going to just let that one sit. And while I do that, we open this section up of every guest we have on for you all to ask us anything you all want, whether it be about investing life, the million things that surround those or in between those. And we'll answer with full transparency, vulnerability, et cetera. And then we'll close it out with some quick fire questions.
2: What are you most scared of happening this year?
1: Clay,
0: that's pretty deep. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I I don't really have an answer in the chamber. I don't know. I think like I've watched a lot of my friends get terrified of like when they're gonna be forced to go back into the office. I luckily don't have to worry about that. But like that conversation keeps coming up in a lot of social circles that I'm in. That's a
2: good one though. That's that was that was a vague question. Looking for it, I just wanted to see what popped in mind. That's a yeah. Good one, yeah.
0: I don't know, I think...
1: But well, you better give us something better than that, bro.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think of something better that's, like, actually applicable to myself. I don't know, I guess, like, anybody that's, like, making content or, like, putting stuff out into the world, I guess you worry of the audience eventually finding that content or community or whatever you built just not interesting anymore. I think that's, like, always a thought that's in the back of my head. It's, like, trying to find ways to just continue to cater to an audience that you have. I guess that's a fear that's more relevant. What about you, Tyler?
1: So for business stuff, like I just decided to start companies and I partnered with this guy who's a serial entrepreneur and all these kinds of things. And I stepped away from venture other than like me and Clay doing confluence and having our own fun. So I guess I didn't. And i also do some consulting things. But bigger point is I'm starting companies. That's something new for me. And I could totally fail. And... At the end of it, like I could have been set back, but who cares? So I'm not really afraid. When I think about things that are truly afraid and just in the spirit of the truth, which is like uh, (laughs) I said, we'll be fully vulnerable and all those kinds of things. Two things make me afraid in life right now. Like, Like a phrase, I don't like to subscribe to the word afraid, but one is my grandmother went to the hospital and was sick for the first time. So I'm like afraid of... Her and my other grandmother actually hit turning those corners of potential not being the same people that I've known forever uh, or maybe not being here at some point. Like that reality hit me a long time ago, but never hit me until maybe recently. And then two, I dated this girl for a really long time. She's a super special person to me. We've been broken up for a while now, but we've been remaining really good friends. And we've reached a point where we either want to convert to trying to do this or hope that life like aligns us again at some point or the in-between of that. <laughs> and I guess there is a part of me that's afraid of, man, what if at the end of this thing, it doesn't align or it does. And like, I have to like fully dedicate. So those are things that linger on my mind outside of like the typical investor entrepreneur. Will I be successful in, for myself and keep up X image for my internal view of self and people's view of me, whether it be family, friends or associates or mentors and those kinds of things.
2: Thank you for sharing. I know that was a pretty deep one. Feel bad for asking it.
1: (laughs) I love it. I I feel like that's what this is about. Like, it's there are a million places where people can talk about investing, and now we're forty episodes deep or something like that with a ton of really dope people. Investing is not that complicated. Like, it is, but it isn't. I think if we're going to have some type of delta, have this be the one place where people are real and vulnerable, and you get to know people. Um, which is what entrepreneurs actually want now, given that money's being commoditized. <laughs> like we need people to challenge us and push us further on these questions.
2: Yeah, I think it's a good, one of the things that we'll point out, like the first couple of things, how you're like, I'm not really that afraid anymore. One thing interesting, I do this, the negative you know, visualization where you imagine the worst case scenario of things you're about to go into. And like the more you think about something you're afraid of, and if you think about it, you start thinking about how you'd react. And if you like visualize something bad that you're afraid of over and over, you start coming up with all the different ways you react and you adjust that over time, just in your head. And no, you're no longer afraid of it because you've figured out what you'd do if that happened. And I think that's such a powerful thing to do, which is one of the reasons I asked that.
1: True. I think that's the, uh, like in short, that's the I'll be okay if kind of things. Or like yeah. the world won't end if, but spot on, man. Feel free to answer the question yourself or you don't have to because that was ours. And then Clay, how about you spin us into the quickfire? fire?
2: Well, cool. I guess the thing I'm most afraid of would be ruining a whole bunch of people's lives and, and not mine specifically, because I think about that a lot, but I don't have anything specific, but that's definitely my biggest fear, just ruining other people's lives. I don't have anything specific fear, but I'm, I'm often asking myself, like,
1: if there's ever an opportunity for me to ruin someone's lives, I, like, I want to know that. before. I- that's real. As an investor, you actually do have that on your back all the time. And now, as GP of a fund, you have that on your employees. You have or people who you will employ. I can't say where you all are as a funder. I don't know technically. And then same for your LPs. I'm sure you have a lot of a lot of people who want to work with you in that way. And for some of those people or some of those institutions, a lot is riding on your back. And then your personal life as well. So hold that weight up, put put it on your back, and I know you're gonna keep moving. Yep. Clay? Cool. Oh,
0: sorry. We have these at the end because quick fire questions meant to be answered in two sentences or less. First one we have is what is a recommendation you hear regularly that you think is bad advice?
2: And I saw that one. I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't really think any bad advice is bad as long as you take it with the context and the of salt.
0: Fair. That's good. In the last year, what new belief behavior habit has most improved your life?
2: Uh, not traveling.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Tyler and I have had the opposite opposite. I think approach. it's I think it's
2: different. I think people who don't have kids are like, this is the best time to travel. And I hold up in different new places and people with kids are the exact opposite.
0: Yeah. No, I feel that. I feel like not having to do the conference circuit every year as VC like that was, I only did that for two years and that was exhausting. And especially, yeah, having kids, that's a totally different ballgame. So totally see what you're saying. All right, next one. Aside from having to say no all the time, what's the worst part about venture?
2: It's like say not building. We are building a fund and um, whatnot, but I say I'm going to take the uh, saying no to other founders. I think saying no to myself with all the other stuff I want to do. It's just running a fund is so busy that there's so many things I want to do that I can't. I and mean, I think that's probably probably the worst part.
0: Yeah. Dealing with like back office admin yeah. stuff. Right? Oh,
2: I wish I could automate this. Oh, how great would it be if I could build a tool, you know, spend time building this tool and put it on in the ecosystem? And there's tons of ideas enough to say no to the most of those ideas as well.
0: Yeah. Feel that best piece of advice for junior VCs or those aspiring to break into venture?
2: This is just look for opportunities to work with people you admire and respect. And regardless of where where it is, it doesn't really matter if it's a venture fund or a startup, like just work with people you admire and respect and where you can learn, work with good people, obviously in and around startups. But I think everybody has such a different path to get into VCs. Just make sure you're surrounding yourself with, with smart people who
1: will make you smarter.
0: Love that. Yo, I couldn't agree
1: on more. On that note, I remember being an undergrad and I had worked at a few funds and was thinking about joining a few. And I remember when I was thinking of working with Yohei and his team at Scrum, and most of the process that he held there was like literally about, do I admire these people? Would it be like a good place for us to build together? And That was the key folks there. So he means that through and through. Thank you.
2: Yes. It's all, it's all about the people. I'm just, I'm, I'm lucky to work with some good people. So I'm biased. But I think working with good people is great. All
0: right. Last one we got here. Who's a mentor of yours that you'd want to give credit? I got to
2: give a shout out to to Cody at Techstars. He definitely he definitely brought me in on this path of investing and so lucky to have, have been able to work with him and having him stay in touch with him and throughout. He's, uh, he's heading up sustainability at Techstars, so pushing that climate angle into the world. And I actually took a, a climate camp for investors class by Tara because of him too. So he's still a mentor to me.
0: Love it. Cool. I think that's all the questions I've got unless Tyler has any last minute ones that he wants to sneak in.
1: No, I know. Yeah. He told us he didn't have that much time today. Yo, thank you. And we going to kick it solid outside of here like we always do.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Let's hang out.
1: Cool. All right, brother. Thanks for having
2: me.
0: Huge thanks again to Yohei for coming on this week I hope that each of you are able to pick up something valuable from this talk. If you're looking to get in touch with Yohei, we've linked his social info in the description below. And if you're a member of Confluence, you can also find his contact info in our directory. For next steps, if you're an investor and have not already signed up to join, we encourage you to check out our website at www.confluence.vc to submit your info to become a member. If you have any feedback for us, please feel free to reach out directly either to Tyler at tyler at gpv.com or myself at clay at muggercapital.com. Hope to hear from you all soon.